Well, good morning, everyone. How's everyone doing today? Amen, amen. So good to see you guys. Let's remain standing for the Word of God this morning as we continue our hell series. We're going to go to the book of Luke, chapter 16, beginning at verse 19. This is a parable that Jesus was teaching that I believe in this parable, Jesus was really giving the descriptions of what hell would be like. And hell, believe me, is worse than you could ever imagine. But through this story, we have a small glimpse of what some of the experiences would be. So we're going to go to Luke chapter 16, beginning at verse 19. And the Word of God says this, There was a rich man who was dressed in purple and fine linen, and he lived in luxury every day. And at his gate was a beggar named Lazarus. And he was covered in sores and longing to eat what fell from the rich man's table. Even the dogs came and licked his sores. The time came when the beggar died. The angels carried him to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and he was buried in hell where he was in torment. He looked up and he saw Abraham far away with Lazarus by his side. So he called to him, Father Abraham, have pity on me and send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water to cool my tongue because I'm in agony in this fire. But Abraham replied, Son, remember that in your lifetime you received your good things while Lazarus received bad things. But now he's comforted here and you are in agony. And besides all this, between us, you and a great chasm has been fixed, so that those who want to go from here to you cannot, nor can anyone cross over from there to us. He answered then, I beg you, Father, send Lazarus to my father's house, for I have five brothers. Let him warn them, so that they will not also come to this place of torment." And Abraham replied, they have Moses, they have prophets, let them listen to them. No, Father Abraham, he said, but if someone from the dead goes to them, they will repent. He said to him, if they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, they will not be convinced even if someone raises from the dead. What a message. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this word. As we learn about hell, Lord, we know that what's being taught today, this morning in church, is a small glimpse. Because we know that even now in hell, there are things that are not even mentioned in scriptures that are beyond what we could ever comprehend. Father, I thank you that you told this story. to really show us, Lord, what hell is going to be like. I thank you, Lord, for those that never have to worry about this because in their lifetime, Lord, and someday they repented of their sins and turned to you, Jesus. Father, I pray for those that haven't done so, those that are listening online, those that are in church right now, right here in this place, 
I pray for those who don't know you that are in our lives, but we seem to not even care that they're going to hell, Lord. For we don't even preach to them the gospel. We don't invite them to church. Lord, we're busy in our lives. We're selfish and self-centered. Lord, forgive us. For this is what matters most. Help me preach now in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You guys can have a seat as we go into this subject. Maybe you're thinking, well, pastor, I'm saved. I don't think I really need to listen to this. I believe that this message is for you most than anyone because this message is going to hopefully encourage you to look at those people around you that don't know Jesus, the ones that God has put in your path to be light in their darkness. When we look at this story that Jesus gave, this passage of Scripture, Jesus, what's interesting is that He would warn people about hell. And what a lot of us don't understand is that when Jesus was here on earth, Hell was one of the number one subjects he preached about. In fact, Jesus spoke more about hell than he did heaven. Jesus was more concerned about those going to hell than those going to heaven. And oftentimes, Jesus would preach and he would mention hell and he would warn them about hell. But what's interesting about the topic of hell and Jesus is exactly who Jesus was warning. You know, Jesus wasn't warning those that were clearly atheists and pagan. No, every time Jesus spoke about hell, he did so to religious people. Doesn't that frighten you? He did so for, to people that thought they were on their way to heaven. He did to people that were going to the synagogues, that were learning the, the law of God, that knew the scriptures. He was saying this to people who in modern times today, they went to church and went to Bible study and listened to podcasts and they thought they were saved. Jesus warned people about hell, but he warned those that thought they weren't going there. So hell is covered and filled with people who were very religious on earth. Think about that. Hell is filled with people who sat in church and listened to pastors and really thought they were saved. I believe that even in hell there are pastors who thought they were saved. Believe that. So this is why I believe that Jesus, when he saw religious people, he warned them about hell because people that are religious think they're safe. They think they're fine. And we have to think about death constantly. And I know that death is not in the topic or in the subjects of many people, but you need to think about death every day of your life. I do. I wonder how it's going to happen and when. I wonder if, you know, when it happens, what am I really going to see? I wonder. I don't wonder where I'm going. I know where I'm going. But I wonder about those people that are in front of me every Sunday, those people that I do counseling with and those that I visit. I wonder about them. If they know where they're going to go. Jesus gave these warnings constantly but they would be ignored. 
Jesus would tell people, hey, follow me, and they would have excuses why they couldn't. Crowds of people would hear Jesus preach these amazing sermons, and then they would go home. Back to their normal ways of living, their business. And I wonder where those people are at right now. Jesus warned, but many ignored. And I believe today in our times, the warnings are still going out. In fact, today, if you're listening to me online, there's a warning now. If you're in this church, this is a warning now. The gospel is being preached all around the world, and the warnings are still going out. Death is coming, eternity is at hand, and hell is real. but we ignore the warnings. Which reminded me of a time many years ago, I lived in this, in this really small studio apartment with my amazing cat Judah, and it was me and him. And what's crazy is that I remember it was a Saturday night, and I was watching UM play FSU. Big game. And did you know that as I'm watching this game, and I'm so into it, I'm so distracted by the television, and I'm just having these, I remember having pizza, I remember just eating and watching the game, I was by myself with my cat, best life ever, right, I was single, anyway, so I was there watching this game, and the fire alarm goes off, and it first went off in, in my hallway, And I thought, great, now is when they decide to test it. The game is on, the nerve of these people, I don't pay rent to pay distracted. And it angered me, because the alarm kept sounding and no one would turn it off. And then my alarm in the kitchen went off. And that angered me. And did you know that I climbed up and I took it off the wall and I took off the battery and it still sounded? So I took it to the room and I covered it with pillows. True story, I covered it so it would not even bother me anymore. And I sat down and I just watched this game and I watched this game and it went to a one quarter and then two the second quarter and it was halftime. And then during halftime, I said, man, you know, the alarm's still going. I wonder what's going on. And all of a sudden, I smelled smoke. And then when I opened my apartment door in front of me, my neighbor's apartment was on fire. And when I opened that door, I realized that that very alarm that I was frustrated with and angry with was actually helping me. But I was so distracted. I was so comfortable in my little couch that I chose to ignore it. But the frightening thing is, I heard the alarm, but I didn't listen to the alarm. And everyone in this world will hear the gospel, but not everyone will listen to it. The book of Romans says that everyone would have no excuse. Man would be with no excuse. And I believe today many are hearing the gospel, 
but they're not listening. They're not paying attention. And for me, it was a, a silly football game. And for others, it's their job, their kids, their hobbies, whatever it may be. But we live in such a distracted world. We live in the world of such comfort and ease that even though the warnings are going out, we're not listening. And God is warning us of eternity, but we're not listening. We're not paying attention. And I thought about when I opened that door and I saw those flames, I realized something interesting. What mattered to me then did not matter to me. That moment I was staring at those flames. I didn't even know who won the game. I didn't care. And did you know that many people are going to die and the doors are going to open and they're going to see that the fires of hell are real and what was important on earth is not going to matter in hell. That very job that you're distracted by, it's not going to be in your mind in hell. It's not going to matter. Your 401k is not going to matter. Your kids, your hobby, your house, your cars, your vacations, your clothes, everything that has us consumed on this earth will not matter in eternity. It was so, my attention was so on that fire. I'm going to tell you something shocking. You ready? I didn't even care about Judah. My cat. My world. My life. It didn't matter. And there was a firefighter there. And he looked at me. And I'll never forget this question. He said, why are you here? And I was ashamed to even answer it. I I couldn't say it clearly because UM's playing, duh. Why are you here? You should be watching this game. I was ashamed to even tell him I was distracted. I was comfortable. I was happy. I knew the answer to that question. Why am I here? You know, people will be in hell and they will know exactly why they're there. They'll remember every excuse they gave. They'll remember what mattered more than Jesus. I imagine God asking, why are you here? And with shame, they'll say, because I didn't listen. I was busy, distracted, tired, comfortable. My priorities weren't right. And that day I realized how many people are going to die and see the flames of hell are real. And what mattered on earth won't matter in hell. 
That's why Jesus warned them. Jesus told this story of this rich man. And he said, there was a rich man and a poor man. This was another rich fool like we learned about last week. And I want you to pick up on something because in this story, Jesus begins to describe what hell is going to be like. But before we even get there, I want you to see something that Jesus said in verse 25. He said, Abraham replied, son, remember, remember that in your lifetime you received your good things. In your lifetime, in your life, and in that lifetime you received good things. Come on, say that with me. Good things. Say it louder. Good things. You see, when I noticed that Jesus said this, I realized there's nothing wrong with good things. You know, I'm not going to be that pastor that says, you know, it's wrong to be rich. It's wrong to have a nice house. It's, it's wrong to have a nice... No, listen. If you work hard, enjoy it. Listen to me. Is it a good thing to have a job? Right? Is it a good thing to have children? You're like, sometimes. Is it a good thing to be married? Okay, well, that's, that's, we're gonna, we have counseling next week. Don't worry. We're going to get there. Is it a good thing to have hobbies? Is it a good... Yes, it's a good thing. The problem is... When good things become the main things, it's a problem. When those good things become the most important thing, it's a problem. And when those good things become the only thing, it's a problem. And that's what's happening to our culture. The good things we have in this life, in this world that God created, has become the main things. And the main thing in your life right now is my job. That's it. I work and work and work. Why? Well, because the most important thing is this house. I need to pay it off. And because clearly the most important thing is my kids and my family. And the one thing I need in this life is security. When good things become the main important only thing, then you're in trouble. When you look at this man's life, the Bible says he lived in luxury. He lived in luxury. What's crazy is that the Bible says the poor man longed to have what the rich man had. Isn't it ironic that this poor man, he looked at this rich man and he said, man, I wish I had his house. I wish I drove his chariot. I wish I had his servants. I wish I had his food. I wish I vacationed where he vacationed. I wish I owned what he owned. I wish and wish I could wear what he's wearing. And he envied his life. 
Maybe this poor man said to himself, God, is it even worth serving you? Is it even worth being a Christian? Is it even worth giving my life to you? Because I'm telling you, Lord, I know I'm born again. I know I'm saved. I know I serve you, Lord, and I have faith in you, Lord. But man, my life is hard. I can't even get a crumb of food. And Lord, I don't even think right now it's worth it because look at this guy. He doesn't serve you like I do. He doesn't worship you like I do. He doesn't have faith in you like I do. And his life is awesome. He never struggles. And there's a lot of Christians like that. We look at the lives of the ungodly and we say, man, they're lucky, they're blessed, look at them. They don't suffer like we do. They don't struggle like we do. And ever since I gave my life to Jesus, everything has gotten worse. But what this poor man didn't know was that he was the real rich one. He was the real rich one. But you know what's frightening? Is that at this these two people were here today on earth, we would look at that rich man and say, man, God has blessed you. Jesus told this story to the Pharisees. The Pharisees believed in retribution theology. Retribution theology is the idea that if you're good, God will be good to you. But if you're bad, God will be bad to you. And bad things happen to bad people and great things happen to great people. It was the first generation of prosperity preaching going on. If you would see this rich man, you would think that the Lord had favored him. The Lord has blessed him. Look at his house. Look at his kids. Look at his car. Look at everything. Clearly, this is a faithful man that God has favored. And if you want the favor of God in your life, it is measured by how you live. What a demonic lie! Because this man was, he had prosperity all over him and was lost. And this poor man had nothing and he was saved. But we have a church today that's preaching this idea and this false retribution theology that says if your life is good, it's because God is pleased with you. And this was being spread out. And pastors say, you need the favor of God in your life. Ask for the Lord to prosper you. And we care less about souls. But in verse 22, the Bible says, the time came. The time came. When I read that little phrase, the time came, I get chills. Because Jesus is saying, we all have time, but it's coming to an end. We have time, but we don't have control of it. And all of us here have this in common. We don't know when our time is coming. I think one of the dumbest, I can't say that. Okay, one of the, one of the craziest people I've met are those that come to me and say, Pastor, um, 
I'm dying. Well, why? Well, the doctor says it's terminal. I'm dying. Isn't that when we start thinking about death? If a doctor would tell you you have cancer, it's all over your body, you're you're dying. But the truth is, the second you're born, you're dying. The second you're out of your mama's womb, you're dying. You look at your toddler, they're dying. I'm speaking to you right now, I'm dying. That person across from you, six feet away, they're dying. All of us in this room, we're dying. We don't have to wait for a doctor to tell us that. We know right now that if you have been born, which all of us have, the minute we have been out of this womb, we were dying. Time was running out. Imagine that God says everyone has time, but time is going to run out. When you look at this hourglass, it shouldn't shock you that eventually it's going to run out of sand. And this is what your life looks like. God says, I have given sand in different amounts to every person on earth. And some people, their glass is full. They live to be 90, 106. Other people have 10 grams of sand. They don't even make it out of the womb. Other people die as toddlers. Other kids die in middle school, in high school, in college. They're young people, old people, rich people, poor people, all people alike. All of us have been given a timeline. And time is running out. And when time runs out, like this rich man, your time will come. And you can't control it. You can't tell God, can you give me more? Time comes to an end. The book of Ecclesiastes chapter 3, 2, Solomon said, there is a time to be what? Born, but there is a time to die. There is a time to die. And usually when we find out we're dying is when we have God, God has our undivided attention. So let me break it down to you right now. And I hate to tell you this, but you're dying. You're dying. The time came. Can you imagine when your time is up and you'll never go to church again? You'll never hear another sermon by me again? You'll never have an opportunity to receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior again? Because time is gone. And the door's open. The fire is real. And you know exactly why you're there. I didn't pay attention. I didn't care. Many people are going to have their reasons. 
I hear it all the time as a pastor. There are reasons why they're not Christian. I've heard I'm busy. But guess what? In eternity, you have plenty of time. Plenty of time. My favorite one, well, it's because Christians are hypocrites. So I, I can't be a Christian because I knew a Christian and they were the worst ever. I'll tell you this, you're right, everyone's a hypocrite, not just Christians. But do you think God is going to say, oh, clearly you're justified. I'm sorry you went through that. Some are going to enter and say, well, I thought I had more time. I meet people that say, maybe I will, and let me get it out of my system first. Some will say, well, I thought I was saved, that's why I'm here. And Jesus, he's telling all these religious people, your time's coming. And then Jesus begins to describe what hell is like. So let me just tell you that you don't have to wait to get to hell to know what it's like. The Bible helps you to some degree. So let's, let's break down what hell is like. You guys want to know? pretty amazing. And hell is so bad you wouldn't even want your worst enemy there. Number one, verse 23, Jesus said, in hell, he was in torment. He was in torment. Number one, hell is a place of actual physical pain. The fire of hell is not a metaphor. It's literal. It's an eternal burning fire. The second you touch fire, your body within half a millisecond tells you it's hot. Imagine not having that ability in hell. Your body naturally pulls away when it gets burned, doesn't it? Imagine that reaction still being in your body to pull away, but every time you try to pull, there's still more flames around you. Hell is a place of physical torment. In fact, it's so constant that the word torment there in the Greek, remember the Bible was written in Greek, very important you guess this. The word torment there is the word busano. Busano, which was interesting, was... A touchstone. You know, like, what's a touchstone? It was simply a black rock that was used to grind metal. You get precious metal. And you would just get it on the rock and you would put pressure on it and grind it and grind it and grind it to in order and you would actually strike it to test the metal. When Jesus said that hell is a place of torment, he's letting you know that hell is a place where you will feel like the striking of God. You will feel the pressure of your sin, and it's constantly happening, and it's constantly going, and it never stops. It's a constant torment. It's so 
painful that this rich man literally begged and said, could you please, please, I beg you, could you have Lazarus dip a little bit and the tip of his finger, some water on the tip of his finger and put it on my tongue. It was so bad. This is what he begged for. A rich man that had everything was saying, please, this is all I want. I want some little bit of relief. And Abraham said, no. Because the physical torment of hell is constant and will never alleviate. the rich man knew what water felt like. You're going to remember what comfort felt like. You're going to beg for relief because you're going to know what relief felt like. But like that stone, you will constantly be grinding. Never ending. You think, man, that's bad. It gets worse. Welcome to church. All right. The physical, number one, hell is a place of physical torment. Verse 22 and 25, Jesus then says, listen, hell is torment physically, but it doesn't end there. In verse 24 and 25, he says that the rich man was in agony. He says, so he called to him, Father Abraham, have pity on me. Send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in the water to cool my tongue because I am in agony in this fire. Did you notice that Jesus used the word torment and agony? And we tend to think that agony is the same as torment. But while torment is describing the physical pain you're going to feel, agony, and what Jesus used the word agony here, he's describing the word alunia in the Greek that literally means emotional sorrow. So Jesus says, if you think that the physical pain is the worst you're going to feel, let me tell you about the udanios of hell, the emotional sorrow, the emotional pain you're going to feel. Well, there's emotions in hell absolutely. Hell is a place of shame and guilt and fear. Did you notice in verse 25 that Abraham said to him, remember that in your lifetime, because Jesus wants you to know that in hell you will have memory of your lifetime. In hell, you're going to look at all your grains of sand. You're going to look at your life and you're going to remember everything you lived for, everything you did, everything you valued, everything you will remember. And that's where the udanio comes. That's where the agony comes. Because you're going to have memory that's going to give you such intense, painful sorrow. Because you're going to remember every opportunity you had to give your life to Jesus, but didn't. You're going to remember the good things that became the most important things and the main things and the only thing. And you're going to say, why did I do that? The sorrow 
and regret and shame of hell is so agonizing that Jesus said in the book of Luke chapter 13, verse 25 through 28, you have to see this. He says, once the owner of the house gets up and closes the door, talking about hell, it's going to be a place where all opportunity is like a closed door. It's gone. It's shut. You will stand outside knocking and pleading. Open this door for us. But he will answer, I don't know you. Where have we heard that before? I don't know you, God will say. That word no, gnosko, literally means I don't have a relationship with you. Why would I let you in? I don't know you. I don't know where you come from. And you will say, we ate and we drank and we were with you. I had a relationship with you. I went to church. And you taught in the streets. You were so religious, you even taught. But I'll reply, I I don't know you. Where you come from? Away from me. You evildoer. There will be weeping there. What the there he's talking about is hell. There will be weeping there. Gnashing of teeth. You gnashing. That word gnash in the Greek means grinding of teeth. Why will Jesus say hell is a place where you will grind your teeth? Because we grind our teeth for three reasons. And it's the three reasons that people will grind their teeth in hell. Number one, we grind our teeth because of physical pain, don't we? Let me hit you with a hammer and watch you go, what are you doing right now? Grinding your teeth, that's how painful hell is. You will grind your teeth. Hell is a place of utter regret. Remember, you're remembering your lifetime. And we grind our teeth when we have missed opportunities. When you had an opportunity to do something amazing and you missed it, don't you go, oh my goodness, I can't believe. Don't you? We grind our teeth with regret. You know how many people are in hell remembering their lifetime? They're going to remember being at forward. They're going to remember listening for some weird reason online. You don't know why you're in this podcast right now. You're going to remember your friend inviting you to church. You're going to remember the sermons. You're going to remember the teachings. You're going to remember the excuses. You're going to remember the distractions. And in hell, you're going to go, oh, I can't believe that I was there. I can't believe I listened to Pastor David and I was talking and I'm texting. I can't believe that I was listening to the gospel and I was thinking about laundry and lunch. Oh my gosh, I can't can't believe it. You're grinding your teeth at regrets. 
That's the agony of your emotions. We grind our teeth because of anger. Acts 7.54, people were hearing the gospel taught by Stephen. Notice the Bible says when they heard this, they were furious and they gnashed their what? Teeth. The nerve of this pastor telling me I'm a sinner. Who does he think he is? And hell, you're going to be so angry. You think you have anger issues now? Wait till you go to hell. Because you will gnash your teeth, but the anger will not be towards me. It will not even be towards God. The anger and the gnashing of teeth will be towards yourself. You're going to be so angry with what you wasted your time on. You can't believe. I saw, I regret it so bad. You will beg. Jesus says the door will close. And you will beg. But the door has been closed. And at that moment, there's nothing you can say or do or give that's going to get them to open their door. That's why when I travel, I have a little evil in me. I, I like to sit near the doors of flights that are about to depart because I'm bored and I need entertainment. And one of the most entertaining things, I try this next time we start flying again, sit by the door of a departing flight, watch it close, and watch how many people show up after. And watch the excuses you hear and the anger that's felt and the regret that's expressed. And they say, please, can you just, can just one time open that door? And they're like, due to regulations, I can't. I've seen fights. I've seen luggage thrown. I've seen tears. It's so entertaining. That when that door closes, you will have the same motive. Please, God. One chance. Please, God, one more time. Please, God, just let, can you make, didn't the rich man want an exception? Because he's so entitled, but you know that hell is a place where entitlement dies? You're no one. You're not important. Hell is a place of complete void of God. Revelations 21 through 23 we know this description of hell based on what heaven's described like. In heaven, the city does not need sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light. You know that in heaven, there's no need for light because the presence of God is light. But see, that's why if hell is a place where the presence of God, yeah, give God praise for that. In heaven, you don't need the sun. God says, I am the sun. I am the light. But hell is a place completely and utterly dark because hell is a place void of the presence of God. Hell is so, so, so dark because God is not there. So you're literally begging to a God that's not there. 
pleading to a God that's not there. Hell is a place not only void of the presence of God, but his characteristics. God is love in his presence. The Bible says his presence, there is love. Without the presence of God, there's no more love. You will never feel love again in hell. God is in his characteristics of God is goodness. God is good. In hell, you will never experience the goodness of God ever again. One of the characteristics of God is merciful. You will never experience the mercies of God. And if you're in this church today and you're alive and breathing, it's because you have experienced the mercies of God. You should be dead by now. All of us should. But you will never experience the mercy, the goodness, the love, the rescue, the joy of the Lord, the peace that God brings. You will never have access to any of that when you're in hell. And you have to do so in complete and utter darkness. Alone. You think you're going to be in hell with your friends? You're going to be alone. You're going to beg to a God that's not there. You're going to have, with the Bible causing the story of Lazarus and the rich man, complete eternal separation in verse 26. He said, beside this, between us and you, a great chasm has been fixed. A chasm is a great, huge, massive hole and gap on the ground that prevents you from going to the other side. All those people that say, I saw my abuela today. That's demonic. You didn't see anyone. Because Jesus says, you can't get from here to there or from there to here. You can't cross over. The chasm is so great that you're separated from God. But ironically, you still try to reach him. See, what's amazing is that this, this rich man was in physical pain. He was in agony, grinding his teeth, completely in utter darkness, alone. Remembering his lifetime. Remembering every party he was in, job opportunities he had, remembering everything he wore, the luxury, everything. He's thinking, and I never had time, but you know what else he's remembering? Lazarus. You know how bad hell is? This rich man remembered Lazarus. Lazarus was at his gate. The Bible says he was laid at his gate. Lazarus was so poor, the word laid in the Greek there literally means to dump and toss. He was just tossed there. He was rejected. He was nothing. And he laid there at the gate. The Bible says every day of this rich man's house, every day this rich man saw Lazarus so much that the rich man knew him by name. And isn't it interesting that 
Jesus is giving this story and he's illustrating that the rich man not only knows Lazarus, but he knows he's in heaven. Because I believe that in hell, you're going to remember every Christian in your life. You're going to remember that Christian weirdo at your job. You're going to remember that Christian that invited you to church, but you never came. You're going to remember those relatives that never went to the beach with you because they were on Sundays at church, those weird relatives of ours. You're going to remember every Christian that was in your lifetime and you just passed by. Eternally separated from God and everyone. And hell is the place of eternity. What's crazy is that as human beings, we have a concept of time. God doesn't. That's why the Bible says a day is like a thousand, a thousand is like a day. God does not understand time. He's not in time. We're in time. We have a concept of time. You have such a concept of time, you're thinking right now, when is this going to end? Because you have a concept of time. We look at this hourglass. We all know and predict, without a doubt, it's going to run out. Why? We have a concept of time. We watch a movie. We know it's going to end. We go to lunch. We know it's going to end. We know why? Because we have a concept of time. That same concept of time gets carried with you into eternity. The only difference is you're going to ask yourself, when is this going to end? When is this going to be over? When is it going to come to a close? And the answer is never. Hell is eternal. Where it only gets worse and worse and worse. Forever. We don't have a concept of forever. I don't care if Bobby told you he'll love you forever. I don't care if that girlfriend says you're my forever. We watch these weird, crazy, romantic, stupid movies. You're forever. We have no concept of forever. Only God does. You'll understand what forever is when you're in eternity. It's forever. So if eternity is forever, doesn't that mean that our time here on earth is like a grain of sand, the Bible says? So small, yet we focus on this little life of ours. This, the most of this little life in comparison to eternity is the most important thing right now. No, your most important, your heart, your value, everything you work for, everything you focus on should always be eternity minded. Forever, never ending. Matthew twenty five forty one. Jesus talking about hell. He says, I'm going to say to those on the left, not Democrats, but you know, I will say to those on the left, depart from me, you who are cursed into eternal, what? Fire. Eternal. Fire. Prepared for the devil and his angels. Verse 46, Jesus then says, then they will go away to eternal punishment. But the righteous to eternal life. 
Jesus said in Mark chapter 9, 47, again, about hell. Jesus talked about hell all the time. The worm does not die, and the fire is never quenched. Look at verse 47 of Mark 9. Jesus was talking about hell. If your eye causes you to sin, pluck it out. It's better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye than to have two eyes and thrown into hell. Jesus saying, take extreme measures when it comes to sin and eternity. Because it's real. And then in verse 48 after this, he says, in hell where the worm doesn't die. You're thinking, that word worm translates maggot. I don't know if in hell there's physical, literal maggots, but I'll tell you one thing that Jesus was talking about. When he used the word hell here, he used the word Gehenna. Gehenna was a dump outside of the city of Jerusalem. And in this garbage dump, there was human bodies that were criminals. There were dead carcasses from animals. There was all these waste and feces. And it was a constant. They would burn it constantly. It was always on fire. It never stopped burning. The smell was so intense. And there was one, two things that never ended in Gehenna. Three things. Bodies, fire, maggots. Were always being thrown. Maggots were always around. So when Jesus says the maggots don't die like Gehenna, he says hell is a place that's so eternal, the fire will always, like Gehenna, keep burning. For those who are cursed. Who's cursed? Those that die with their sins, never being forgiven by Jesus Christ. Those who have never turned their lives to Jesus. Those who have never repented and turned to Jesus, who died on the cross for your sins. And time came. When it comes to hell, you think, well, Pastor, why is it that for the past 10 years, in October, you talk a lot, a lot about hell is because the church isn't doing it. Why aren't you afraid you're going to lose people? I'd rather lose people on this church than lose them in eternity in hell. I don't care. Think about eternity. Right when you think it's going to end, God says, no. Another hundred years go by. Is it going to end? No. A thousand years go by. And God says, you've only been here like a day. What do you mean a day? It's been a thousand years. Have, don't you see how long? No, I don't know time. What's time? Again. For all eternity. Never running out. Never ending. But right now, you have time. So don't take it loosely. Because I think about when it comes just to the word hell alone, we don't even, we take it so loosely. You curse people to hell, you tell someone, oh, go to hell. You know what you're saying? 
You say, oh my gosh, it's, it's as hot as hell in here. Listen, you don't know hot. We use the word hell like it's nothing. We even say it as a positive thing. Hey, you want to go? Hell yeah! Because the devil wants you to loosen up with hell. Don't take it serious. It's in our lingo. It's, it's, just, it's just hell. God says, no. Jesus says, think about hell. Because it's real. Let me tell you, and let me close with this. There are three guarantees in this life right now. Three. Nothing else. Listen. There are three guarantees. In Hebrews 13, 8. The Bible says, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, forever. Put it up there for me, Barbie. Hebrews 13.8. I want you guys to see this. Hebrews 13.8. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday. Come on, say it with me. Yesterday, today, forever. One more time. Yesterday, today, forever. You ever wonder why it doesn't say yesterday, today, tomorrow? Because yesterday is a guarantee. All of us here right now are, that are here today, we all had a yesterday. Guarantee. I guarantee you had a yesterday. I don't know what you did yesterday. You might repent from it. But listen, you all had a yesterday. All of you are here right now. Why? Because you're here today. But you know what God says? Why he says forever and not tomorrow? Because tomorrow is not a guarantee. But forever is. Eternity. In heaven or in hell. That rich man died. And was buried. I hate that because the Bible says he was buried. Did you notice that the Bible says that the poor man wasn't buried? He was so poor, he couldn't even have a funeral. He was probably thrown in Gehenna. So this rich man had a fancy funeral. Beautiful roses and flowers and chariots. And everyone was dressed in the finest luxury suits. Well, he will be missed. And this rich man was down in hell thinking of his family. What if right now in hell someone is thinking of you? Saying, please, God, send David and send other churches and other pastors and send someone to talk to my cousin, my neighbor, my friend, my mom, my dad, my brother, my sister. Please, God, I don't want them in this place. That's why Jesus says they have to listen, not just hear. With every head bowed and every eye closed. Hell is a real place. You're thinking, well, pastor, I'm glad that I'm secured, I'm saved. What are you doing to make sure that those around you are not going to go to this place? 
Every empty chair in this church represents someone that should be there that you haven't invited. Maybe you're here today and you're saying, God, I just don't know where my forever is going to be and time's running out. And I want to be sure of what's going to happen. Turn the music off for a second. Just, just quiet. Do you know without a doubt, church, that your forever is secured in heaven through Jesus? Because God will send pastors and people like me to tell you in love, time is running out. So if you're here today, and you might have been at Ford for years, you might be a leader here, I don't care, I don't know, but you're saying, Pastor, I just don't know. Here's what you should know. You still have time. Jesus loves you. He died on the cross for your sins. That if any man believes and repents and turns to him, will be saved. And though that poor man didn't have the best life on earth, he has the best eternal life in heaven. So if you're here today or you're listening online, today the Bible says it's the day of salvation. Don't wait, don't prolong, don't excuse. If you're here today and you're saying, Pastor, I want to receive Jesus Christ, repent of my sins, and turn to him. I want you to put your hand up and I want to pray over you right now. And if you're here online and you're saying, Pastor, I'm not with you, but I want to receive Jesus Christ, I'm going to lead you in this prayer. I also want us to pray for those in our families that you know without a doubt are going to hell. And ask the Lord to give you the heart of evangelism. Pray this with me. If this is you, say, Lord Jesus, I repent and I turn to you. Forgive me of my sins. Wash me with your blood. Secure my eternity. I believe you died on the cross for my sins. And today I place my full faith and trust in you. Save me. In Jesus' name. Father, I pray for those here now in our lives that we love but we know don't know you. If you're thinking of someone right now, show me your hands. All around the room. I want you to pray for them right now. Lord Jesus, wherever they're at, time's running out. If it's your will, Lord, that they be saved. Give us the opportunity to present the gospel to them. Give us the opportunity to invite them to church. Give us the testimony to lead a Christian life that gives them the longing for what we have. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.
and amen. We'll give God some praise this morning for you guys.